What's funny about running is that uh, no matter how fast you get, you always want more. I don't know a runner alive that doesn't go out and run a PR and within 10 minutes of celebrating that PR, think to themselves, I bet I could run faster. This is Ali, and we're back. How's it going? It's going all right. It's been pretty busy, you know. Great Hill Track Club and all. And all. And all. It has been a interesting week last week, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so a lot, lots been going on. And um, speaking of Great Hill Track Club, it's been kind of during the pandemic everyone sort of ran solo for so long and once we started started the track club everyone's sort of initial when they were coming back to training to train with a group everyone was like i haven't run in a long time we're like we're we're all in the same boat you you don't don't worry about it let's just let's just go back to our consistent training the way we do and now that we have been i think since august right so it's been a few months it's kind of amazing to see the workouts that people are having. They're almost back to where they were or beating their times from before. So so that's been pretty cool. It's been, you know, uh, seeing the hard work and then that uh, exhilaration of shared achievement. It's been pretty cool. That's nice. Yeah. It's important to, I don't know, I guess just it's important to participate and celebrate things in everyday life because I feel like looking at like the greater like scene of what's going on in our world right now is just really tough it's been a really tough year and particularly the last few weeks I mean it's hard to (laughs) get on a podcast and you know be happy-go-lucky with everything going on so it's you know you can't not address it it's been a bad it's been a bad few weeks I think it's pretty um collectively traumatic so it's nice to have running. I think running is a gift. It's a nice coping mechanism. And though it may seem superficial on some levels, I think it's absolutely not, especially when it brings people together. Definitely. Um, the, uh, and just to speaking of how things have been so different, the racing scene is obviously totally different. There are some races happening, but it looks nothing like what we're used to, right? Yeah. But it's something. So I'm so glad for organizations that are actually still sort of attempting to put on something so that this weekend there are a couple of races in Central Park. I think two different organizations, but exactly the same course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, just bringing people together, trying to unite in some shape or form. Um, it's really, uh, it's really helpful in these trying times. Yeah, and just to uh, tag on to that a little bit, I'll just give a little preview. I'm gonna, I'm working on a free fitness class that I'm gonna do over Zoom for people, just to be able to come together and do something together and have support and have a little bit of fun and details we'll put on the Instagram, but it's totally free and it's going to be on Saturday mornings and it's going to be super fun. I did it in person when I was in New York city and um, it's time to do it on zoom. (laughs) I attended those 45 to 60 minute sessions. They were pretty, they were pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite comment was someone came up to me one 
before the class one day. She it was she'd been coming for like six weeks, and she was like, you know, when I started coming here, I thought, wow, this is super easy. <laughs> and then the next morning, I'd wake up and I'd be like not so sore that I couldn't function, but like sore enough that I was like, oh, I was wrong. That was not easy. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah, it was like the highest compliment. I loved it. Mm-hmm. So stay cool. tuned. Yeah. Can you give a small preview of like what people might can expect if they join this class? Yeah, totally. Thanks for asking. Yeah, that's a great yeah. question. Um, so it's going to be between 45 and 50 minutes and 10 minutes of it is going to be warm up. We're going to have 25 minutes of like full body. So we do upper body, core and lower body. And then we do like 10 minutes of stretching and relaxation. So I think hour long classes are too much and stretching is really important. And so it's warm up. So it's going to be, it's scaled really well and there's um, all levels are welcome. So if you haven't, you know, done anything over the pandemic, it's totally fine because I have um, adjustments for all levels and there's also, uh, you don't need any weights. I'll talk about that like a little bit more when we're actually in the class because there's options to get them, um, but you don't need weights. But the thing about being at home is that there are household objects that can be used. <laughs> Can of beans, gallon of water, yeah, totally. <laughs> a water dog, a French bulldog, a doxy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. so speaking of doxies, who's our yeah. guest today? Um, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Jennifer St. Jean. Before we get into the meat of her introduction, we should mention that we recorded this one night and Jen lost power and the recording got lost, not because it was dependent upon her power, but it was because her internet connection got lost. And then the site through which we do the recording lost her track. So, <laughs> um, she had the greatest response though. She goes, Oh, 2020. <laughs> so yeah, we recorded in December. So we did it. This is a second recording. So, um, Thank you, Jen, so much for your patience with us. But um, Jen is someone who, she is a master's elite runner. She runs with Central Park Track Club. And she's someone who, as I got a little bit more serious about my running, I really wanted to kind of find out who is in the world that I'm in. And I I found her on social media. And she has an amazing um, Instagram account, at Jen St. Jean. And she provides so much honest and really um, helpful information and support and just also straight up workout information. And um, I just really was attracted to her voice and what she is offering to the world and the way that she sees running and training and how she uses it and incorporates it into her life. And so I basically um, <laughs> I kind of threw myself in front of her at the Fifth Avenue Mile and introduced myself to her in 2019. One of her goals is to become faster as a master. And that's a tall order because Jen ran, she's been running since she was 12 years old. She did have a break in the middle of her career. She was walk-on at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and she specialized in the 800 and the 1500. And her PR um, is 208 in the 800 meters and 419 in the 1500 meters. As a master, she's run 454 for the mile and a 437 for the 1500. So that is really phenomenal. 
and Jen lives in Connecticut, and she has a family. She has two daughters, a husband, and a lovely dachshund. And um, she has a wonderful story, and we hope you enjoy. Hi. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thanks so much for having me today. Jen, you have so much running experience, but also um, health science and exercise science experience. Can you share with us how that has helped your training personally? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing to understand, and there's so many great books out there, so many wonderful resources. Um, right now, we're sort of in a great place as, as women athletes that there's more coming out about how to train as a female athlete. I think in the past, uh, men and women were either not trained the same because we were not the same, but only because they thought that women shouldn't be trained as hard. Hence the women's marathon uh, Olympic year, not starting until the eighties. So we've come a long way, but I think there was a, interim period where women were trained nearly identical to men. And I think that's can be okay for some, but it doesn't really represent the whole picture of the female athlete. And a lot more about that is coming out now, which I think is great for the sport, great for women to be able to understand their training a little bit differently than how we've been training in the past. Yeah. There's been, um, did you read the book Roar? I did read the book Roar. I loved it. It was fantastic. Do you ever plan races around your, your cycle? Is that something that you... No, I've never done that. Um, but it definitely has impacted my training, probably my racing as well. Maybe, maybe not so much in a race because you usually have like a good amount of taper beforehand but has definitely impacted my training. So I will, when I'm in sort of like a down week, which usually only is like one workout, uh, my paces will be off. They'll be a little bit slower, but not terrible. Like it's only slightly off. Like I'm the only one to complain about it. Um, But I think the bigger picture is that I feel tired. Like I feel like, I have an extra 10 pound pack on my back and I'm trying to trek that around the track with me. And so generally I just feel like the act of running is more labor intensive. Yeah. That's been my experience too, which brings me to the the idea and the concept of recovery. We've had conversations before about the importance of recovery, both within a cycle and between cycles. Um, And I really admire your ability to, um, you know, really stick to your guns when it comes to training and racing and then taking time off. Um, can you share with us, you had, you had talked to us, um, about your kind of how you handled the pandemic so far. I mean, we're still in it, how you've handled running and training and racing in the pandemic. Yeah. So I was just recovering from, uh, a few stress fractures, uh, last year in 2019. And so I didn't really race very much. And I guess it was probably just after the Fifth Avenue mile that I was like, my body definitely needs some time off. Like I'm just, I really feel broken. 
And I think it was at that point that I discovered I had a stress reaction or a fracture in my lower back. And I said, I just need to take some time off and allow it to fully heal. So I took some time off and it took a long time to heal. And January, February, I started to get back into some level of fitness. And then I ran one indoor track relay because my teammates really needed me, but I was not in shape or fit for that at all. But I, I showed up and then it was the week after that, that everything shut down. So I was literally just coming back to the sport. And it was at that point in time that I thought that it was actually, I'm going to use the word gift again. Um, it was a gift. And I said, you know, I think now is the time to really just focus on your base building and your mileage and build up your strength and your endurance and really take this time to do this next training cycle properly. Of course, when that started, I really thought that everybody was going to be so wonderful and protect, you know, your neighbors and your family and that, you know, maybe this is going to be like a four week blip. <laughs> and now we're here we are and we're still going through it. Um, so after we sort of realized that everything was just going to shut down and the numbers skyrocketed, um, I decided, and the races just kept getting canceled, and so we'd be all excited and geared up to do something, and then it was canceled. I said, I really think it would be smart for me to sh set up my own racing schedule. And so I did that through, um, I guess, just this past month. And when I finished up last week, I think, and I just set out a series of non-traditional races since I'm an 800 meter runner, 1500 meter runner, there are no races for that, for those events. So I took it as an opportunity to work on one of my weaknesses, which is the 5k. And I really wanted to get a 5k PR. And at the age of 40, I had run... I think 1759. And so I wanted to run faster than that. And that was my sort of fall summer goal was everything was leading up to running that sub 18 5k. And I think it's good to just be able to sort of step outside everything else that's going on and just really focus inwardly and on yourself and making sure that you know, you're taking the time between races that you would need to recover. And yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it was beneficial for me gaining some fitness and uh, working on some events that had been really hard for me in the past. That's a really good example of kind of extrapolating from when we're in a race and things happen and you have to adapt and do your best in the moment. It's like you've done that on a more macro um, yeah, macro level in terms of the entire year and being able to spread that out and having goals for yourself that aren't tied to um, obviously a circuit that's not existing. Um, so you said that uh, you had done your first track 5k. What was, what was it like when you got on the, on the track? Were you nervous? I had uh, done a lot of workouts leading up to it that were um, 5k 
based workouts. So we did mile repeats, we did 1Ks, we did 800s, combination of all of the above, starting off with a mile and then doing 1Ks and or finishing with a mile. And uh, it was a lot of variation. So I feel like going into it, I had done enough intervals at 5K pace that I felt really confident. Still the 12 and a half, um, sounded like a, a, a hard number to mentally get my mind around when I'm used to running four laps. But I just took it one lap at a time. And for the 5K, the middle part still for me is really, really hard because you, you know, you're running much faster than a longer distance. You're not running quite as fast as the shorter distances. But you know, finding that threshold for maintaining that level of pain in the 5K is really hard mentally in the middle to hold on to and know that like, well, once you get to your final mile, you're actually going to feel better. Like, you know, and I think that's the thing physiologically where I think I have an advantage is because I actually know the energy systems that you'll be using throughout a different race. So I'll know that like when I'm in a 400, I know exactly where the body shuts down and that you just have to keep going. When you run an 800, you know exactly where the, and it happens in the same spot for every single person. And, and that's the interesting part of it. You just have to know where the pain is going to show up and then mentally try and turn off that pain meter and work your way through it because it eventually ends. And if you can ride it out through that rough spot, uh, that's where the PRs are. Do you, can you share with us where it happens in a 5k? (laughs) Definitely happens around lap five. Mm. It's lap five and lap six, or maybe, I don't know. I think maybe for me it was lap seven and lap eight. Those, yeah. those two were the hardest, actually, lap seven and lap eight. That's been my experience. I mean, I've not done a track 5K, but I know where that distance is in the race. And it's like um, you're, you've are you settled in. So like that adrenaline, though it's still there because you're in a race, like that initial getting on, it's like I call it getting on plane, like you're on plane. And then it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> and I think mentally your body wants to give you a reprieve. It's like, you know, you don't actually need to hurt this bad. Like we can just slow down a little bit and you'll be fine. Like, you know, let's, in, in some ways it's probably a good thing that the body responds that way. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess the more you train, um, the more you can train your body to turn off that mental cue and be able to work your way through it. Uh, certainly nutrition will play a role in, you know, are you, um, training, the right system so that, you know, that doesn't happen. So, you know, if you consider like the hundred meters and, you know, what that involves versus a 200 meters, I mean, they all require such a unique set of training. And I don't think the 5k is any different, but it seems as though not too many people actually train for the 5k. You know, it's like either you're a half marathoner, maybe, you know, and you don't really hear about that many 10Kers either. Mm -hmm. Like people run the 5K, people run the 10K, but they don't necessarily train for those races. So I think that's the big difference. Yeah, we nerd out about that all the time. (laughs) So is it usually 
it sounds like it's about a two thirds of the way into a race, right? Maybe not whatever the distance, because then we can get carried away into hundred milers. Let's not go there. <laughs> but within sort of like your traditional distances, it feels like it's like getting to the two thirds point is where physiologically something sort of switching into body saying, okay, you know, if you just get to that point, and I've heard other coaches talk about this same phenomenon too, and different people give it sort of a different name. I remember sort of reading something from McMillan where they, he calls it the go zone or something like that. And I'm, it, it never occurred to me and listening to you actually makes it even clearer that that's what's happening in terms of giving it a name. And um, you also talk, you, I think you also ran the 10,000 too, right? That, I don't know. When I think back to college and friends that had run 5Ks and 10Ks, I really thought that on the track, I thought they were crazy. Um, it's just so many laps. Uh, so I guess I knew I needed to run a 10K and running around my neighborhood is a little challenging. It's suburbia. There's lots of stop signs. There's lots of streets that merge into major roads. Uh, the roads are kind of narrow in my town. It's, you know, it's one of those little older cow path kind of towns. Used to be a farm at some point. So the roads aren't particularly wide and there are very few sidewalks. If there are sidewalks, maybe it's only on one side of the street. So it just makes running on the roads a little bit more complicated and not everybody is uh, runner friendly. And so even though you know, I feel pretty safe going out for a regular run. I'll move over as far as I can. It, it's really not conducive if it's not a closed road uh, to racing all out. Um, you're just, you're always holding back a little bit in case you need to stop on a dime um, for some hazard of some sort that could pop up. So I really wanted to give it a good shot. And, and again, in 2020, just stepping outside my comfort zone, do something different, do something that I've never tried. And so I said, you know, I'm going to do it on the track. And I feel like that's the safest place for me. And I'll just be able to uh, focus lap by lap. And so I kind of knew what, what pace I thought that I could do for that many laps, which happened to be 135. And so each time I came around and I hit 135, it just sort of drove me to continue at that pace. And every time I hit 135, I felt stronger and stronger and stronger. And I actually never hit that two thirds. I actually, towards the end, started getting a little bit faster. And I think, you know, it was just, it was a huge accomplishment to be able to, to do that. It wasn't a 10K PR, uh, but mentally, I think I really broke through some mental barriers for myself. Do you have any ideas on why that two thirds didn't come in the 10K or was, what did, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out like, was the mental focus of just hitting 135 so strong that your mind was sort of thinking about something totally different in terms of even going, going to that place? Well, you know how like sometimes when you're out on a run or even during a race, your mind can start to wander, depending upon the, how long the distance is, like your mind can start to wander and something else might pop up into your head. Mm -hmm. And for probably the first time, I actually kept my mental focus the entire time. 
Um, there were actually, there were a couple other uh, people at the track, not too many. So uh, once they realized how fast I was going and that I was using lane one, everybody got out of my way, <laughs> which was really nice. That doesn't always happen. Yeah. Uh, it didn't happen actually in one of my 5K time trials on the track. And I had to keep going around people, and which added to the distance of my 5K by a significant amount. Um, there were like at least three spots every single lap that I had to uh, go around people. And I, and I decided to err on the side of caution and really went around them. Like I didn't just run past their shoulder because of COVID. I didn't want to do that. So um, I don't know. I mean, my, I don't know my exact 10K PR, but I think it's somewhere around 37 for the 10K. And this time I ran um, 39, I think. Is that what I ran? And do you know? I think that's what a 620 would be about. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't run as hard as I've ever run in the 10K. So I don't know if that's why I was able to maintain that same rhythm it was it was more like of a rhythm run like it was hard but it wasn't all out I mean and I wasn't racing anyone it was it was me versus me so you know I think that was probably why uh the 5k is just fast enough where it really hurts the entire time Mm -hmm. um the 10k um if you slow down by a minute it it can make the threshold just enough that it's not maximum, I guess. That would be my unscientific. Did you ever run the Queen's 10K? No, I haven't. I'm just wondering, because that's really the the 10K that I have the most experience with, and it's a really hard one because it's the beginning of June when it's usually, you know, not that hot, but no one's acclimated yet. (laughs) So my experience with the 10K is that it's just as bad as the 5K, but I might try one in like a different time of year. And maybe on the track. The annual 10K that I've sort of been doing is the James Joyce Ramble Mm -hmm. up in the Boston area. Um, It also, for many years, has been the the Masters National Championship for the 10K distance. So that's the only reason why I've done that one is because it's also a national championship. So in that course is very windy and very hilly um so it's really challenging it is not an easy course mm-hmm. and that's the course that i have my pr on but that's actually not even the fastest for masters on that course there have been some masters that i i want to say have run in the 35s um for that course which is mind-boggling um because it's really tough there are a lot of really good climbs in that but i i kind of see myself as a good climber um, I'm actually not as great on the downhills. So that's something I need to work on. And I don't know if it's because I hold myself back a little bit because I'm afraid of the muscle damage, um, because it definitely hurts to run down. Well, after the fact, it hurts to run downhill, um, a little bit more on your body than climbing up the hills. Um, my favorite workout actually, or speed workout is to do hill repeats because your body doesn't quite realize that while you're running at a slower pace, climbing a hill actually produces uh, faster results. Um, so it's that's hill repeats are actually one of my favorite workouts. 
I wish we lived closer to each other because you're in the right company. We're all speaking the same language. Ali and I are closet hill lovers too. <laughs> um, can you share with our listeners just kind of a little bit about your journey in running? You started at a very young age. I started in the eighth grade and it was sort of an accident. Um, my friend was on the cross country team and we had a half day of school and she asked her dad to take her back to school for cross country practice. And so I asked her what cross country practice was and she said, we go running. And I asked her why. And she said, we just run. And I said, oh, well, can I come with you? And she said, okay. So I was running with her and the coach and the coach asked me how I was feeling, and I said I felt good, and he said, could you go faster? And I said, well, probably. And he said, well, there's a girl up ahead. Why don't you see if you can catch up to her? And so I set off, and I caught up to her and finished the run alongside her. And so then my friend and the coach arrived shortly after and said, so how did you feel? And I said, good. And he said, well, that's our fastest runner on the team. Do you think you want to join cross country? And I said, my mom doesn't really let us do sports. So um, I think that's going to be a no, but if you want to ask her, you can. And so my mom came to pick me up at the middle school and uh, my mom and the coach actually knew each other from Boy Scouts. And so he said, to my mom, Linda, I really think you need to let Jen run cross country. And she said, I don't really have the money for that. Is that going to cost me anything? And he said, no, but if you could get her a good pair of running shoes, that would be great. And she said, she reluctantly, she said, okay. And he said, you know, I don't think you understand. This is going to be her ticket to college. She's got a gift. And my mom just kind of laughed it off a little bit, but Ultimately, I went on to run in high school and then in college and then after college. And so it was a good thing, I guess. I love that story. We just never know. I'm, I'm glad that you had a coach that kind of was curious, curious enough in the way he approached trying to find your um, potential just as a suggestion. And then you did it. So you, after college, you kept running and, and you, you got quite serious about it. And then you took a little break. Do you mind um, talking a little bit about that? So after college, I, I kept running. I was running actually for, there was um, an elite group with the BAA. And I had received a letter from uh, the head coach there asking if I wanted to join their team in Boston. And uh, he was going to actually, with my exercise science degree, there weren't actually a lot of jobs when I graduated in 96 for exercise science. I had focused on uh, corporate wellness. And so I was really looking for a job in that field. Um, the economy wasn't doing so great. And a lot of companies were actually cutting back on fitness facilities within their workspace. So the jobs were really far and few between. So I needed to do something else. And he actually knew the owner of Marathon Sports. And so he got me an interview with Marathon Sports and given my exercise science background, um, I got a job in Cambridge and was running uh, for the BAA when I first, first out of college. So it was that fall, that cross-country season. 
not too long after that, I mean, I was doing pretty well in cross country that fall after college. Um, a friend approached me and said, there's another coach that I want to introduce you to. And he was starting a new running group in Boston and it was sponsored by Reebok. So I met with him and ended up switching teams. And this was an Olympic development team. And I focused on the 800 and 1500. And I got in college, I did not run the 1500. I only ran the 800. And in high school, it was pretty much the 800 and during indoor track, the 1000. So the 1500 was sort of new to me. I didn't really, I, I, maybe I had run it one or two times in college, but it wasn't like a frequent event that I did. And, um, you know, I worked really hard at it. He said, you know, you're constantly running the 800 and the four by eight. He's like, you would make an amazing 1500 meter runner. And so that's what he trained me for. And I got my time down to 419, which was just about a second off the Olympic trials qualifying time. Um, back then, the standards have changed over the years. So <clears throat> as women have gotten better, the standard has come down. So I'm not quite sure what it is today. But um, in 1996 standards, uh, 419 was one of the top 40 times in the country. So while it was a top 40 time, I also knew that that was a lot of women that I had to beat in order to make one of those top three spots in order to make it the Olympic team. And I kind of thought about my whole picture and what I wanted from life. While running was amazing and I enjoyed it so much, I didn't necessarily picture myself as just an athlete. Like I wanted more. I wanted to get married. I wanted a family. I wanted a career. And so I decided after two years, and, and I don't know if it mentally I had at one point in time said, well, if you can run faster than 420, then, then you'll know you've made it. That'll be enough. So I think it was just sort of at that point that I decided I had done enough and I was ready to start the rest of my life. Can you talk a little bit about differences and or similarities of your early days of running or that entire first phase of running to how you approach running today? I probably approach my running today more like I did in the last two years of my running career. So I have a pretty good program for training and workouts and recovery and taking time off like I did those last two years. In high school, one of our favorite runs was to run to the Dairy Queen and then walk back. <laughs> I don't do too many of those runs these days. Um, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy ice cream, but it's usually not mid-run. <laughs> our favorite way of planning out our runs is like where we're going to end up to eat. <laughs> I think it, not mid-run. Yeah. Almost 80% of them work backwards. Like, well, where do we want to finish to eat? And like, okay, well, let's see how many miles that is. And where do we need to add more? <laughs> So that's a really big decision to make, uh, which I'm sure wasn't easy. And then deciding to return to running is a similarly big decision. How did you, were you kind of warming up to it or did you just wake up one day and think, oh, I'm, I want to go back and do this. And now I feel like ready. Well, so I took about 15 years off of competing and 
during that time I ran, but I would only run when it, I felt like going for a run or I had extra time. Sometimes I would run on my lunch break uh, just to break up the monotony of sitting at a desk. And, you know, it allowed me another way to connect to work colleagues. would go for a run after work or that sort of thing. So it was just kind of very leisurely. Um, but I didn't want to race because to me, racing is kind of sacred. And so if I'm not going to train for it, it doesn't seem to make sense for me to sign up for something because I just enjoy the regular run. So I love to go for a long run with a friend and just chat the entire time. And I don't really need a race to do that, I guess. So for me, racing is when you want to give it everything you have. And that not everybody views it that way. There are definitely some people that use the races as the way to actually spend time with friends. So it really just depends on what your goal is. I, I use regular runs to spend time with friends. So after about 15 years, though, of just leisurely running, I just kind of, I didn't feel healthy anymore. I just kind of... I didn't feel strong. My my muscles didn't quite look the same anymore. They they weren't as um, I wasn't as strong. So I said to my husband that the only way I know how to do this is to seriously train and get back into shape and back into shape so that I feel confident in going to a race, no matter what the races look like. Because I don't think I knew at that point in time what races I was thinking about doing. Maybe it was just more like I had started doing some local races and I had um, gone to the track one day to do a workout and there was this other woman who lived around the corner from me who I had never met before and she had never seen somebody come to the track and do a full-on workout. And so as I was leaving the track, she's like, um, I don't mean to sound creepy, but um, you were doing a workout. What are you training for? And I said, well, I'm not really training for anything in particular. I'm just training to get fit again. And she's like, well, would you want to meet for workouts? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And so, you know, once again, running becomes the way that, you know, you're able to connect with other people because you really have this common bond. You can see somebody's work ethic and see them working hard and, and know that if you work with them, you know, they're going to give you that accountability to also work hard. And so after I did that for about a year, I decided that I wanted to get back to short races because I was doing some 5Ks. I ran uh, the Newport Marathon in Newport, Rhode Island. I ran some half marathons, which didn't go so well because they were the Fairfield half in the middle of July. So that's never a good thing. They've actually moved that race because it's just so unbearably hot. Um, but, you know, I had done some other races and it just, it wasn't sparking the joy that I wanted. Uh, so I reached out to another Olympic development coach that I had known and I had asked him what it would be like for me to try and get back into the 800, 1500. And, you know, could I potentially be faster than I was when I was 23? And he said it would be hard, but it would be fun to try. Do you still work with this coach? No. Um, so that coach was with Westchester Track Club, and I'm still 
close with him personally, but um, there weren't a lot of women on the team. And so, and or there weren't a lot of women coming to practices. And I, every time I would go to races, I was always hanging out with the Central Park Track Club group because they were there and I was there and I didn't have any teammates from Westchester that were at the races that I was at. So the more and more that I kept hanging out with the Central Park Track Club women, I decided, you know, maybe it makes more sense for me to do my workouts with you guys since we're all going to the same races anyway. And so I switched clubs. When you think back about um, maybe you alluded to this, but I'm going to just explicitly ask it. Like when you think back about that 419 and saying, okay, um, I'm going to walk away from this because I have other goals in life. Now, a little bit of time has passed. You've come back. You're sort of trying to get faster than that. Do you, do you ever get the feeling that, oh, maybe I should have gone or, you know, tried it at that time? Uh, do you see it as maybe lost opportunity is not really the right phrase for it, but it doesn't ever occur to you like now looking back into getting back into running that, oh, may, I wonder what would have been if I'd actually given it a couple of more attempts. You know, it's funny about running is that uh, no matter how fast you get, you always want more. I don't know a runner alive that doesn't go out and run a PR and within 10 minutes of celebrating that PR, think to themselves, I bet I could run faster. <laughs> so while I think back on it, I'm sure I could have gotten faster and I'm sure I would have had more amazing experiences. But the flip side of that is I wouldn't have the life that I have now. So I don't really think that there's any regrets. Also, when I think about the athlete lifestyle, and this was also one of the reasons that, um, that I decided to stop was that we weren't really supported. So, you know, I was working a minimum wage-ish job in retail and running full-time and we're sponsored by Reebok, but that means that they're paying for our shoes, our equipment, and our travel, but there's no compensation. So you're, you're really, you become like that starving artist, which I think works for some people, but I imagine for a lot of the people that have that dream, it's not possible. You know, it's, to be a full-time athlete, really, I mean, I follow a lot of the pro athletes. It really is full-time. I mean, there's a lot of little stuff that goes in your day, and it would be really hard to do that at that same perfect standard if you had other jobs. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't see how the two really work, you know? So I feel like more recently maybe there has been a little bit more support, but I still don't see it. I still see it as a big struggle. I don't think that that's really different in any other country either. You know, there's, there's just, there's a lot more that we could do to support future Olympians, I guess. But how many do you support? Do you support the 40th? Like, where does the line stop? Um, back in the day, 
basically what it looked like was that maybe the person who was ranked first, second, and third might have had pretty decent uh, compensation, um, but I'm not even sure about that. You know, I, I don't know fully what their contracts look like. And certainly now that we have the social media that we do today, advertising dollars and brand and so forth goes a lot further than it did just an ad maybe in a running magazine. Or um, I'm not even sure how they would get their dollars back back in 1996 to fully support an athlete other than a cereal box, maybe. Uh, like, I'm really not sure. I mean, it's just, it's such a hard sport. Any, well, I mean, maybe not any. I mean, there are some sports that are fully supported where the athletes have full salaries. Um, at, you know, I try to think how many quarterbacks there are. And so you think about the number of pro teams that have quarterbacks and, you know, they probably have first, second, and third string. I don't even know if that's the right word. Um, but, you know, that have a salary. Um, but that's just not the case in track and field. And I don't know that it necessarily needs to be because I don't know that it's the moneymaker that football is. So it, it's just hard. I mean, that's just, it's a really tough life. And so I could have done it, but um, but the financial struggle would have been really, really hard on me. And also, you know, repaying student loans and, you know, getting out onto my own feet and, you know, a car and responsibilities and bills and, and whatnot. It, it just, yeah, economically, it's a real tough sell. I recently read on your, um, on your social media post about that you're actually closing down your fall racing season. Um, and after having, you know, great success on the kind of trying some new things, doing the 5,000 meter, the 10,000 meter on the track, as coaches, we're always sort of trying to work with athletes and figuring out like what to tell them on when is the right time to sort of say, okay, you know, time to kind of switch gears and tone it down. Can you talk a little bit about making a decision like that? Because it, you said about runners specifically a second ago, right? We talked about how you run a time and you're like, I bet I can do this faster, literally 10 minutes after the race. Uh, and then there's that drive to kind of go and do more. Um, yeah. Um, so I had just planned to do one more 5K. So that would have been my entire season. And just, I don't know, just this past week, well, racing season really should only last about four to five weeks, meaning at like top fitness, uh, where the PRs just keep coming. And so, but after that four to five weeks, if you keep going after that, it starts sliding back down. So your times, you won't hit faster times and you're also more likely to get injured. So you just kind of have to know that going into it, that you have to set an appropriate length of time to race and then be done with it. So this past week, I've just been feeling more achy and, you know, getting out of bed, walking down the stairs, just, you know, this feels tight, that feels tight. And so I was like, well, I could do one more. I don't know that one more is in my best interest. Um, the weather's also changing, it's getting colder. And so I thought at that point that it was, it was time. 
Again, that takes experience and wisdom, I think. <laughs> Especially when, you're, uh, when your coach reaches out and says to you, there is one more race. Uh, it's, you know, it's half, it, we're doing a team time trial and you're just you're like, you roll your eyes. Like I just said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the temptation is always there. Good for you for sticking to your guns. Well, I, again, I think I've, I've learned that the hard way of, you know, being enticed by the, the one more race or, you know, a friend is doing it and says, hey, come along. It'll be fun. Let's do this. And just taking it just a little too far. So along the theme of the um, the runner who thinks, oh, I can run faster. Can you share with us your thoughts on time? Because I love what you have to say about just race times in general. Yeah, you have to kind of set yourself up for understanding that your fastest time won't be your first race, um, that it's sort of like a ladder, that you get to a certain level of fitness, and then uh, you sort of race yourself into being fit. And there's just no, I don't know that there's any other way to do it. I think marathoning is probably the only exception because you can't do repeat marathons. But when it comes to certainly shorter races, uh, you're each time you race, your central nervous system adapts to that. And so, you know, the, the message that gets sent to your muscles happens a little bit faster, a little bit faster each time you do it. Um, but that's also why you also want to, um, set a finite number of times that you're going to ask your body to do that. Because if you take that too far, then it can start to, um, we were chatting one time and you were talking about race results and how you feel about race results. Can you share that? I never remember mine. Oh. (laughs) Once it's happened, it's like it's in the past and I can never remember from race to race like what I've run. Like I have to actually keep a log and keep track of, you know, like certain races. Like I said, that Boston race that I've done a few times now, I, I would have to go back and look to see what time I ran the last time to know whether or not it was a PR. I just don't think about it. I don't worry about it. There's just so many factors involved in a race that go beyond the athlete, whether it's the other athletes around, whether it's the weather, um, something is off personally, or you got lost in traffic and you show up late or I mean, there's just so many variables to racing that go into whether or not you run a PR. So I tend to think about PRs as something that's great if it happens, but more often I just want to know that I've run according to my current fitness. I think it's so easy to get lost in the numbers and I've done it myself and I've witnessed other people where they've had a fantastic race, but because the number isn't what they wanted it to be, they think it was a failure. And um, it's unfortunate. You know, some races, like, I mean, and I know that pros don't do this at all. Like there, I've watched so many YouTube just to try and keep my mind thinking about racing. I I go and I uh, watch YouTube videos of other people racing. And the funny thing about it is, I've watched a number of these Diamond League races 
on YouTube and the race will go out and I'm like, wow, I'd be right in there with them right now because it's that slow, (laughs) right? (laughs) So they go out at like this pedestrian pace and then they drop like, I don't know, the last mile is like unheard of. Like they close their last 400 faster than I've ever run a 400 in my life, you know? Mm. So that race probably won't produce a world record. Um, That race probably won't produce a PR for an athlete. Um, They're super fun to watch though. Um, So I really think every race, like I said, is so unique. Like sometimes in a race, nobody wants to take the lead. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do in that case? You know, do you take the lead and know that they're all going to kick past you? I mean, there's just so many variables to uh, racing with people. And Mm -hmm. I think you just have to consider all of that and not worry so much about your time, but just, did you do your best that day? Were you competitive? Um, How'd you feel? Did, you know, could you change anything in your pre-race strategy leading up to the race. Um, I feel like every race is an opportunity to learn what you did right and what you did wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of my favorite track races to watch in order to kind of get my head around this idea of performance within the conditions that you're in is Centrowitz when he um, ran in Rio and just watching the way that he dominated that race because it was not fast, but it was, you know, Ali, we talk about the tactical stuff and that's what's important. You know, it's like, well, how are you, how are you placing? How are you maneuvering yourself? How are you conserving your energy and and responding to your competitors, which is pretty cool. Um, So the time doesn't always reflect the experience for sure. And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes winning the medal is all that counts, especially when it's for your country. Yeah. Right. I love your holistic approach of you, you, I know you're a planner, so you plan everything that's in your control. You do all that work, but also give respect to all the fact that are all the facts that are gravity issues. You're like, well, we we just don't know, right? Like, we'll go with it as long as I give it my best. That's where my sort of end goal lies, and I've, there's so much beauty in that. I love that. Um, in our previous discussion, you'd mentioned something about the concept of stress being stress. Like, even in our running and training, we're um, uh, we're stressing the body so that it can become better, but then there, you know, it, it's hard for body to sort of distinguish, even if you have life stressors and things happening. Can you talk a little bit about in, in that vein, like, can you talk a little bit about your experience with injury and like how you sort of came out of it and figuring out what was going on and, and how it, I guess, change your outlook on recovery and all those things? Yeah. Most of the time, you know, when, when stuff happens, I sort of think, well, running is the foundation. And so I'm not going to take away my foundation. I'm just going to keep running. I'm going to keep training hard. And sometimes that's not smart. Um, So in 2019, uh, we had a lot of things happening um, at our home. Uh, Our home was under construction, and I'm so happy with how everything came out. But when you have uh, people banging and, you know, just, constant noise and people coming in and out and, you know, all the things that are involved with living at home while construction is going on. Um, it can be a little bit stressful. And then my, during that time, um, I have a miniature dachshund and he broke his back 
And so he had to be rushed to the vet and they did emergency surgery because he was paralyzed. And it was just, it was a very, very stressful time. And then sort of the icing on it, um, I had two spots of skin cancer that had to be treated. And through the, it was like two days later after a treatment that I towed the line uh, to run a race. And there was bravery in that, in, in showing up anyway, despite all the things that were going on. And so I definitely give myself credit for that. But there was also a little bit of me being naive and not thinking that the stress that I was under wouldn't have a physiological effect on my body. And so oftentimes when our body is under stress, we release cortisol and that's just normal. When your body's in constant stress, it just continually releases cortisol and ignores all the other hormones that your body's supposed to be producing, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. And that can affect your health. And for me, it affected my body's ability to repair bone and I ended up with three stress fractures. So what I've learned from all that is that while you can have good stress in your life, you can have athletic stress in your life, you can have bad stress in your life, that your body doesn't really distinguish between the stresses, it just knows stress. And so when you add up all the stresses, you just have to sort of be mindful of where you're going to apply, you know, extra stress. And and that in that can mean good stress too. Like, you know, you could, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you go to that one more gathering and, you know, you're being friendly and you're having a great time. And then you go home and you're like, why am I so exhausted? You know, I had a great time. So it's just knowing, you know, and maybe after that gathering, it wouldn't have been a smart idea to go and run a race exhausted emotionally. Uh, So I think it's just being mindful of, how much energy you're putting out and, you know, where other things are happening. And so my view is stress is stress is stress. And so you might have to back off your training so that your races don't suffer in the long term, that you're able to stay healthy. If I may, I wanted to switch gears into a topic that I wanted to discuss with you because it's really how and where I've gotten to know you because the past year I haven't, I haven't seen you since I was at your house last December. (laughs) Um, But you have a beautiful, beautiful social media account. And I just, as a female and a friend and a fellow master's runner, I just want to, first of all, thank you for what you put out into the world, because I think it's really beautiful and I think super helpful and also just full of useful and helpful and inspiring information. Um, So I kind of just wanted to talk about like vulnerability in a life in racing. I think racing takes a lot of vulnerability, but also I think being as forthcoming and as really honest as you are on social media, can can you just share how that feels? Because I would imagine it's scary because it takes a lot of courage to share like as openly and just givingly. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, but I guess my goal is to not highlight real. That 
while I try to see the positive in life, I also share when things are hard. So when I was going through uh, recovery from my stress fractures, I still posted what I was doing during that time. I didn't want to just, and I still gave kudos to, you know, likes and hearts to other people whose running was going well. Um, I remember my favorite, my favorite time when I was injured, actually, um, I had a boot on my foot and I was standing at the finish line of the fifth Avenue mile. And I had brought a friend who was living here from Scotland. She lives in Greenwich and I met her at a race and I said, you've got to run this race. You've got to run the Fifth Avenue Mile. If you run one race in the United States, this is the one for you. You've got to do this. So I went there. I actually drove her and her husband uh, because, you know, they're from another country. They don't necessarily know exactly where they're going. So I was like, I will drive. I'll pick you up and we'll go into the city together and I'll get you all set up for that. So I was at the finish line cheering with a boot and over walks Gigi Grunwald. And I was like, do you know who you are? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just, I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, she's like right there. And I thought to myself, you will never get another chance to, I didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but you'll never get another chance like this to not tell her how much you love her and how much meaning that, you know, she brings to your life. So I introduced myself all awkwardly and it was just, it was amazing. And had I let pride get in the way, I never would have met Gigi. So I think about that a lot. I'm reminded of that a lot, that if I'm having a bad day, that doesn't mean necessarily that I need to close myself off from the people that I love because I'm going to miss out on a lot if I do that. And so even if I'm having a hard time, um, definitely not fake about it. I just, I just try to find the blessings. And so oftentimes when I'm injured, I return to yoga and I love yoga. Yoga for runners, I think is amazing, but yeah, it's just, I I think it's important to to really have that holistic view. I think sometimes, I mean, to just piggyback on the value that you just shared with us, uh, sometimes it's people don't tell other people how they feel about things and, and other people in their lives. And so just to be very clear, <laughs> it's not clear already how much you offer to me personally and to the world. I just see it as a witness. It's amazing. And um, I love that, like, you did that to Gabe and, like, I did that to you. So it's like, you're, you're to me, like, what she was to you. So <laughs> I love that. It's sort of like paying it forward. Um, something that I love about what I've found within running and particularly in the, the women's masters area is, and you've been a huge part of this is just how accepting we all are, uh, are of, of each other. I see it on social media and social media. There's like 
I haven't experienced this yet, so I feel really grateful for that. But there's also like an underside to it where I think there's this whole other world of social media. I'm not, I don't, fortunately, that's not my experience, but I know it exists. And what I love is how supportive like runners are generally to each other. And um, your account is is something that it's really valuable. You know, you're you're not only an amazing runner and a great coach, but just like a really important, I think, person and someone to look up to for, for women at whatever their age is for doing hard things, showing up for yourself, that it's never too late, that you can keep improving. And, um, I don't know, it's just nice to have positive messages in the world, especially today when there's so much happening and that's really hard. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for, for saying that. I think, I mean, I think for me, when I first started sharing my running journey as a master's runner, there really wasn't a lot out there. And so when I, so back when I was 39, moving into 40, I really thought, you know, faster as a master, that, that, that would be it. And, and I couldn't really find too much out there for women's running at that time. I'm happy to say that that's not the case anymore. So six years have passed and I see it now more than ever. And I just think that that's so beautiful. But I think to your point, it's still really hard for some. Uh, We often fall into uh, comparison traps of comparing, you know, my running to your running and to your running. and, and, And that's really hard. Uh, I don't feel like any one person's story is more important than another's. And each one of us is on our own path, our own journey, and it's all good. You know, and, and it's hard because there is that time factor, which I guess, you know, maybe learning early on um, in eighth grade to just always forget about what time I ran. And that I still have that trait today that I can't remember times. To me, it just has no value. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It just, I mean, as we get older, there are some wonderful age-graded charts where it takes your time versus what the world record time is for your age and then compares that in some mathematical formula to whatever the open world record time is and gives you a calculation as to how you're doing. And that's always fun to see, not because of anything other than like giving yourself a little pat on the back. Well, wow, that's actually pretty fast for someone that's my age, you know, and, and there's definitely value in that because I think as we get older, at some point we do start to get slower. And so, you know, it, Either you worry about getting older and slower and you move away from the sport or you just sort of say, well, you know, time doesn't really mean anything. You know, how did I do today? How did I compete today? Uh, Did I make any new friends? Um, You know, what's the emotional value in what you're doing every day? Are you helping other people? Are you being supportive if people have questions for you? Um, I had one woman reach out to me and say, how do you run the 800? like tactically. And so from beginning to end, I told her exactly what to do. And she executed it the way I told her to and ran a PR. 
So, I mean, and I'm not afraid to give that information to somebody. It's not like it's my secret, you know, it's, I'm happy to help other people reach their goals. That's awesome. Awesome. Ooh, <laughs> that's good. Favorite country. I wonder if my husband is listening to this part. <laughs> um, so it's so hard. I'm actually a huge country music fan. So to like narrow it down to like one particular artist is, is really, really hard. Um, but I'm going to go with Marin Morris. Because she's fun and just like, I don't know, so full of life and it's, her concerts are really fun. They're usually like small venues too. So, uh, so I enjoy that. Uh, so we usually end our episodes with asking our guests if they could offer a training tip for our listeners. I mean, you've offered so many. I think the thing as just from a master's perspective I've heard some people talking about uh, 10 day cycles. Uh, I don't know if 10 day cycles really work for race schedules because most races usually happen at the end of the week. And so I think working that into a 10 day cycle could be hard. Um, though I suppose you could just backdate it from whenever the race is. Um, but the biggest change for me is only going hard two days a week. So whether that's a track workout or a long run or a tempo run or somehow or another, I combine the long run and the tempo run. Um, but no longer do I do three hard sessions a week. There's just not enough time to recover. Thank you. Um, I have a, to end with just one question. Um, does the doxy ever go out on a run with you? If it's just a slow shuffle somewhere? He doesn't do long runs, um, but mm -hmm. he loves to sprint. So in the front yard, what we do is, um, and this may get him all riled up. So I apologize if he, if he makes a, a view, but, um, I'll be in the front yard after a run and he'll come out and I'll say, do you want to race? And he looks up at me and then darts and goes as fast as he possibly can to the end of the front yard. And I'll do that like four or five times. So like we'll get our strides in um, at the, you know, but he always has to win. And he's always like looking <laughs> back at me like, are you here? Are you coming? Um, so he loves short distances. Um, I don't I don't think he would be a distance runner. I think he'd probably be like really great in the 40 meter indoor track. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jen. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. You guys, too. Thanks.